Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Amen. Well, you guys know by now, when you show up to Covenant Community, we have a worship service first, right? <laughs> we, man, I love it. It's so great. I'm so grateful for our God who has given us so incredibly much. And we've been working through this series on gospel stewardship. And I'm going to jump right in. Y'all ready to go to work on this? Yeah. All right, good deal. Uh, it's getting real today, okay? <laughs> We're diving right in. And as we, as we finish this up, uh, we've been saying that we believe that it is of critical importance that every Christian understand this truth, that Jesus called us to follow him as Lord, okay? We got that. that and here's this truth, that if Jesus is the Lord of our hearts, then he's also Lord of our entire lives. Everything we own, everything we have belongs to him, and we surrender it to him. And, and we have sort of thought through this. As Americans, we come to this with some baggage. We have some some things that we're sort of in danger of. And one of those is that we have this tendency when we get to giving, we, we like Jesus as a good teacher. We like Jesus as a trusted advisor, sometimes even a financial advisor. But as Lord, sometimes that seems kind of extreme. And what we've recognized is that ultimately this whole idea of gospel stewardship is really about Jesus's lordship in our life. And it's, if that becomes true in your life, and we'll naturally become a gospel steward of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so with that said, the purpose of all of this series, and we're wrapping up today, the purpose of the series has not been to get you uh, to feel guilty about however you're using your time, your talent, and your treasure. Uh, it's all about coming to this place where we are able to see our hearts in a different light. And he reveals to us what's the true state of our souls. And you need to know, we're not doing this. As Steve said before, church is not broke. God definitely is not broke. And uh, this is, I think, the fifth sermon since I've been here that we preached about money. So if you've come recently, you're like, that's all they talk about. Know that uh, that's not been the case. Uh, but the, the whole thing is that we don't want you as gospel stewards to feel guilty, but we do want you to feel accountable. Does that make sense? We don't want you to feel guilty, but as, as gospel stewards, we are accountable because this is the truth. The more we have, there's this tendency for us to worry more about those things. The more we have, the more we worry about what we have, right? Uh, you may be in the insurance business and you get this. Like the more you have, the more insurance you need. There's this fear of even losing some of those things. And, and ultimately as rich people, we talked about that, we are in like the 1%, all right? As rich people here in Gilmer County, when scripture talks about rich people, remember this is talking about you and I. We are the rich people when you go out overseas, virtually anywhere else in the world, you say rich and they think of you, like you're what pops into their mind. And so when we get that, we understand that, that we have a tendency to put our hope and our trust in our wealth. Poor people don't do that. <laughs> they know better, right? But the more we have, there's this tendency for us to do that. And so the purpose of this series has been to shine some light in our, holes, in our hearts because we see 
that wherever our heart goes, the money follows, and wherever our money goes, our heart follows. In the end, we get this, that wherever your money is, your treasure will be also, and we understand that God wants us to, to submit to him as Lord, and it's gonna hit here. It's going to eventually work its way to where it impacts our money. And so as Americans, we're in danger of jumping into American materialism with both feet, thinking that that is what we're here for, uh, and it's just not quite the truth, is it? Uh, we're wired to desire treasure, and what we said the last time I was here uh, or preaching was simply this, that desiring treasure is good, but just make sure you're going after the right treasure and not the trinkets that the enemy is trying to sell you in its place. Because one day, moths will, will eat those and rust will destroy those, but not what God has to offer. So we hope that this has given you some perspective on how to use your steward, uh, stewardship of your time, your talent, your treasure that you've been given. And uh, the ultimate thing here is that you get to experience even more joy and freedom in your life. Not later, but now. And so, uh, so far, we have been dealing with stewardship at a heart level. I mean, the last several sermons have been really geared towards getting our hearts in a place where we see Jesus as Lord. We're ready to trust him with our stuff, with our time, with our treasure, all of those things. But now uh, if I have the lovely duty of it's time to get practical. It's time to get where the rubber meets the road and talk about giving. Okay, so we're not going to dock around this at all. We're going right at it. Today we're going to talk about the grace of giving generously and cheerfully. And here's the reality. We believe that, that giving is an integral part of gospel stewardship. Yes, you can be a great manager of what you have, but part of that, part of being a steward means that you are a giver, a generous and cheerful giver. Now why? Why am I saying that? Why does scripture and our God himself command us to give from the front of the book to the back of the book? As God revealed in scripture, he's called us to give. And here's the reality that God himself is the ultimate giver. God is a giver. And so he desires for us to be like him, right? He desires and requires us to be in his image. And that's why Jesus came to rescue us from all the mess that we were in so that he could transform us into the image of his son. And if that is true, he, our God is a giver. His image is a giver. If you are going to be like Christ, you are going to eventually be challenged to give like Jesus gave. And so if he is a giver, we are to be a giver. And I see this in the Old Testament. God gave laws as guideposts to reveal God's character and our sinful rebellion. The law honestly shows us our hearts in a different way. We were unable to fulfill the law. Instead, we broke the law and it revealed to us how rebellious and broken our hearts actually are. But God, who desired to make a people for himself, who reflected his character and his nature, sent Jesus to redeem us. And that's why we're celebrating that first song. We're talking about, man, the enemy has no power over us. God is in charge. We raise a hallelujah to him. That's, that's the deal. He's made us like him. Now, we failed to fulfill that law that Jesus did. And we see that Jesus, our God, is ridiculously generous and desires for us to reflect his generosity. So we've been saying this, that God's plan for us today is that we reveal the gospel, we reveal the character of God, not through lavish living, but through lavish giving. That is the deal. That's what God wants to bless us, that we would be a blessing. But we, we walk through a lavish standard of giving, not just through, look how much God has given me. We actually step into what God desires for us and we give. A lavish lifestyle of giving is how the gospel is made uh, completely uh, pure and you see it. So giving generously and cheerfully is at the heart of God. 
It's at the heart of the gospel, and it should be at the heart of every believer. And so, uh, hey, I want to bring something up to you because this is this actually getting to where we practically give our money. This is difficult for us. I think it's important that we recognize that as Americans, we got some baggage when it comes to giving. When it comes to giving our stuff away, this is hard. So much so that I don't know if we can look at giving objectively without the influence of our culture. So we're going to need some outside help because we're kind of saturated in the culture that we're in. So now we're going to bring in some some help from ancient Macedonia and from ancient Jews. And we're going to look at the example of Jesus in a second. But think about this for a second, how unnatural this is for us. We spend a huge amount of time and energy trying to think about how to handle our money and our investments well so that we can have more money, right? We're good at this. We spend a lot of time doing that. We carefully plan out our careers so we can have more money. We try and spend hours and hours trying to find good deals so we can save more money. And we go uh, out on the internet. You can do it right now and find dozens of, of companies and organizations that are ready to help you accumulate wealth so that you can have the stuff that you think is going to give you happiness, that those things that you look for. And, and ultimately, we live in this consumer culture, and we're obsessed with getting more. And, and I, I was reading this week, and I found several studies that said this. This was fascinating to me, that the average American will see 5,000 ads and brand placements a day. 5,000 a day. You guys, I was sitting as I was as I was reading this and I was typing this in. Y'all, I found like thirty or forty sitting at my desk. It's crazy. I, this is reality. So I thought, man, this has got to be true. I went and looked at several other studies. Some actually said it was higher, uh, but nobody seemed to want to go lower. We see five thousand ads a day, and and here's the impact of that: is that five thousand times a day we're told, whether directly or indirectly, that all we need for happiness. All we need for real intimacy, for significance, and for satisfaction is a new car, a new pair of jeans, some new shoes, or some new headphones, whatever it is. We're told thousands of times per day that if you get more stuff, you're going to have a better life. Now, in contrast, this is the fifth sermon we've preached all right, about giving since I've been here in, in four years. And so during that span of time, all right, just until next week, you'll hear... 35,000 more ads before we get to talk to you again next Sunday. And over that four-year span where we've had five sermons, you've heard 8.2 million ads promising you a better life through better stuff. 8.2 million. So when I say as Americans, we're not always objective when we think about giving. I mean, think about this. This is ironic to me. We didn't plan this, but it's the week of Thanksgiving, right? The week we celebrate being content and happy with all that we have. And literally seconds after we put that last bit of pumpkin pie in our mouth, we go grab the ads out of the newspaper and start surfing the internet. And we run out to go to get the stuff that will make us happy. Like, what is the deal? I mean, millions of us are going to run out and be standing in line all night long to get some more stuff right after. I mean, seconds after we just celebrated being content with all we have. I think it's ironic, right? But that is America. I think the rest of the world has to look at us and just think we're insane. But... We, we spend, on top of that, just once we accumulate all this stuff, on the way here this morning, I heard a commercial for uh, this company that basically says, uh, junk are us. In other words, like, if you've got too much stuff, we will come and get your junk for free, right? <laughs> on the way here this morning, I heard this, I was like, this is crazy. And, and they're like, you know, we'll come and get your junk. And I thought, wow, we have this 
legitimate need for a service to come and get all the stuff we don't know what to do with. That we don't even have the energy and the time to throw it away. Are you hearing me? It's crazy. As Americans, we have so much, and it, it really is crazy. Andy Stanley, uh, he has a way of coining these phrases, doesn't he? He says that it's the consumption assumption. And it comes with, it comes like this. If it comes to me, right? If, if something comes to me, then it must be for me. <laughs> I think that's kind of great. If it comes to me, it must be for me. And he says that. This is consumption assumption. But here's, here's the truth. We have all this stuff. But I want to confront you with this reality. In this life, we're worried about accumulating stuff, but you're going to die before you run out of stuff. Right? And one day you're going to die before you run out of stuff. I don't know if you've ever had the, the joy of cleaning out a loved one's house after they've passed. But it's amazing how much stuff that we just cannot seem to part with, right? That in the end is like, this is a burden. Now, when I, when I get to this, I, I, I know I've said a lot, but I want you to hear this. We don't think objectively about giving and we need to think about this in a different way. So we're gonna look quickly at the example of the Macedonian uh, first century believers. Then we're gonna look in the ancient Jews and the Jesus, uh, his example. And so uh, here's the deal. We've got blind spots, so we need some help. Hopefully you'll see this. And my hope is that in the end, we'll stop asking how much are we required to give, which is actually the question we're answering today in the sermon. But instead, we start asking, in view of the gospel, in view of what Christ has done for me, how much can I give out of my worship and gratitude towards him? And that attitude I'm calling gospel giving. We're talking about gospel stewardship. And I'll explain why that term means a lot to me right now. So uh, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you'll turn there with me, that will be in verse 1 to start off with. And I'll do my best to move quickly here, get right to the point. But in order for you to understand this passage, I need to set this up uh, so you have a little bit of context so you know what's going on. Paul, this incredible missionary, left Jerusalem as a missionary of the gospel and went to Gentiles all over the place. He started out in Jerusalem, left out to go and minister to Gentiles. And these Gentiles, as he planted churches, they understood that the message of the gospel had come to them through the people of Jerusalem, who loved them enough to take the gospel to them, to send people to them. Now, prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, they really didn't think that highly of Jews. In fact, they called them heathen dogs, more or less. But the gospel of Jesus says that these Gentiles who were far off were able to be brought near through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So there was a compelling need to take people out. And now these people that they used to call dogs are now actually their brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a big deal, right? So there's not always a great understanding and, and there was a need to build trust and to meet a need because the need was real. In Jerusalem, the Jewish believers were being persecuted. They were in the heart of Judaism and they were being persecuted as they tried to walk with Christ. And Paul shared a need to the Gentile churches that they could take up an offering and send it as a blessing from the source that they heard the gospel. They could send back a gift, a, a monetary gift to bless those people. And so uh, that's what you see happening here. You see it in the book of Acts and we read about this letter challenging the church of Corinth with the example of a church in Macedonia. So these are poor Macedonians. So let's look at it in verse one, chapter eight. Paul writes this, he says, we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, listen to this, have overflowed 
in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they, these poor Macedonians, extreme poverty, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave of themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So accordingly, we urge Titus that he should, that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He said, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty, wow, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who just a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. That is as it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. You guys, this is a beautiful picture of what I'm sort of calling today gospel giving from an outside source unaffected by our American bias. And I want to give you a couple observations I make before we change gears and look at the Jewish side. Here's the deal. They gave by God's grace. They gave by God's grace. You see, it mentions right in that first verse that there was a grace, there was an act of the grace of God at work in them. You see, giving is an unnatural thing to us, right? We are hoarders, we are consumers, we want, we believe that consumption, assumption, if it comes to me, it must be for me. And so giving stuff away goes contradictory to what some of us actually believe. And here's what we know, though, that is a grace of God, is a supernatural thing that he does in our life when he empowers us to be able to give away what we have been promised will give us happiness by the enemy, right? All those 8.2 million ads you've heard since you met me, right? That is the deal. Like those have hit hard in our hearts and the enemy has been lying, saying more stuff, better stuff leads to a better life. But that goes contradictory because what God desires us to be givers as he is givers, knowing that'll lead us to more joy. So back to Colossians, because we have Christ in us, who is the ultimate giver, we are able to give from that place, not because I'm a generous person, but Christ is generous, and so Christ in me lives this out. So it's not about you being awesome, right? You remember that. It's, about, it's not about you becoming, going home and writing on your mirror, be more generous. No, submit to Jesus as Lord. Come to him and be like, I can't, but you can't. I feel like I need this stuff, but you are in me. So will you teach me how to lay down my life, lay down my stuff for the advance of the gospel? That's what he desires for us, that we're able to Give because Christ in us empowers us to give with the same desire that he has in us. And so in Christ, we're able to give generously because we want to. It said that 
this example of gospel giving, it said that they begged, they begged to get to be a part of this offering. They're like, please let us give. Please let us show generosity and love. It was a desire that they had. They did it on their own accord and they gave proportionately, all right? They, they didn't, the, the poor weren't demanded to give way more. It was proportionately as to what they had. But some people wanted to give so much, it says that they gave beyond their means, right? Like, I can't give this much, but I just did. Like, that's where they were. And this is beautiful story of how they wanted to. They, they were giving to these people who were, in some way indirectly responsible and directly some of them responsible for them receiving the grace of Jesus and they wanted to return that. So they gave, it says, out of an overflow and a wealth of generosity. I think sometimes in our churches, there is a overflow of a wealth of selfishness in our churches, right? And it's because we don't stop and think, but that's why we've been doing this and we, we get this that there should be an overflow, meaning it's already there and it's bubbling up because it's Christ in us overflowing and, and overshadowing what is natural and leading us to do supernatural things. So they, they gave by God's grace and they gave to show God's grace to others. I mean, I'm gonna move quickly here. You get this, right? When the Jews received this, it blessed them. They got it from the Jew, Gentile dogs. They couldn't believe received the Holy Spirit, right? They couldn't believe that, right? And they sent us money. Like this, this was a blessing to them. Paul is using this story to encourage the church at Corinth to give, like the poor Macedonians gave. And even now, I'm using the Macedonians example, as Paul recorded in Corinth, to encourage us to be able to give with gospel giving. Listen, our, it's so important because it spurs one another of us on, but it's also a tangible picture of the gospel being played out in, in others' lives. When we're able to give, they're able to get a tangible picture of the love of God in our lives. So, so that's quickly the example of the Jewish believers. I have one more observation we'll circle back on before we're done. But the second thing is this, that let's look outside our culture at the example of Jewish believers. Let's go back into the Old Testament. Now, we've got some Bible scholars in here. I want you to know that we are in the new covenant and we're gonna, that's what we just talked about. We're gonna circle back to it. But I want you to see where this goes back to because to answer this question, how much should I be giving there's always this question that comes up about this word tithing. And tithing comes out of the Old Testament, all right? And so some of us use that word as synonymous with giving, but I feel like if I explain a little bit more what was going on, you'll have a better way of conversing with one another and see what we mean when we say that and how that word fits into our understanding of, of gospel giving. So tithing, if you've never heard the word, it's a real churchy word, we use it a lot, you don't hear it anywhere else, and you don't go to your financial manager and be like, let's talk about tithing. You know, they, they don't do that. But it's in the church, and what it literally means one-tenth, 10%. You, y'all, some of y'all are better at fractions than percentage, so one-tenth and 10%. But we see it in Scripture, actually, and this is worth noting, we don't have time to get into this, but before the Mosaic Law, Abraham gives 10% to Melchizedek, who was his high priest. And we see this in Genesis 14, 20. It says, then Abraham gave a tenth of everything, and he gave it to Melchizedek. Now, we see later in Scripture, this is a very short version of this, but in Leviticus 27, 30, we see that this was commanded by the law, and it said, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so I want you to catch this. The tithe under the law belonged to the Lord and not to the people. It applied to everything. And so for, for the Israelites, do not give 10% 
in, in this, and it's going to get more complicated in a second, for not to give 10%, to, to give 9% was to rob God of what already belonged to him, that one other percent, that 10% that belonged to him under the law. Now, actually, in, in Israel, there were three tithes. You, you may not have known this, right? Like, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, there were three. Uh, two of them were every, every year, and there was one tithe that supported the priests and the Levites so that they could serve, and another tithe provided for a sacred festival, and a third tithe provided for, and this was every three years, and orphans, uh, widows, and, you know, the poor, right? And that was every third year. So really somewhere in the neighborhood of like 23% is what they were actually giving under the law. So it, it, you know, this is kind of, if you've used, this is the thing, like we, this is a church where we push back on legalism. We understand that Jesus has fulfilled the law. Now we are under grace. And so we're able to, so if you are really want to hold to the law, then if you've been given 10%, then you're not even actually keeping the Mosaic law. You need to bump that up to 23% just to keep up with the Jews. And that's not, that's not even all they did. There was actually the thing, the principle of the first fruits, right? So every time there was harvest, they gave their first and their best, sort of saying, Lord, we will honor you with our wealth, with our first fruits of all of our crops. And it says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. They were essentially saying, God, we trust you to provide for our needs. So we're able to give some stuff away. And the third thing, so they had the tithe, they had the first fruits, and then they had the voluntary offering. So they didn't even stop with those two. They went even beyond what was required. And they gave because they had been given too, right? And they gave. They built the temple so much so that you can read in Exodus uh, 35 and 36 that they had to beg the people to stop giving. They were so excited about giving. They had to shut it down. They're like, we don't know where to, what to do with this. And that essentially came out of their own heart. So if we look at the example of the Macedonians, we look at this gospel giving. We look at giving under the law. What you see in both places was that people gave and they gave generously. And in both cases, they gave more than was required and more than they probably were able to. And so I say this because here's the deal. We ask this question, how much should I be giving? Uh, Some of us automatically go into, we've been taught to do this and we think in terms of the covenants. And I'm sorry if you're here, the Old Testament really means old covenant. New Testament means new covenant. When Jesus came, the reason why we worship him is because he fulfilled the law in our place. And now by faith in Jesus Christ, his fulfillment of the law, uh, his righteousness and forgiveness for the sin that we've already committed are imputed to us. And that we are made holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation that we are able to enter into a relationship with, with God and have eternity with him through the work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we're big around here of helping us understand that it's not your job to go out and try and fulfill the law so that you get to go into heaven, so that you get blessed. That's not what happens. When you go and you try and fulfill the law, immediately what you'll find is that you fail to do it and it will reveal that you're a lawbreaker and you're gonna have an uh-oh moment where you're gonna be like, I can't do this, what do I do now? And then we're gonna point you to the cross and we're gonna show you Jesus Christ who did it in your place. And if you go to him and say, I can't, but you can, you already have. Will you forgive me? Will you set me free? And I don't care what it is, with finances, with addiction, with attitudes, with stuff you think's always been a part of who you are, you yield that to him. He will take over and make you a new creation and put Christ inside of you. You guys, we have been given so much by our God. When I say Jesus is the ultimate giver, I'm not joking. Listen, it's the verse you already know. You just haven't really seen it. For God so loved the world that he... You worship and walk with the ultimate giver. And he has given to us lavishly. 
And so we have any hope of explaining the gospel. We don't do it by lavish living. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't come and show off his incredible deity and his power. Instead, he set that aside and came as a baby. That's what we're going to celebrate at Christmas in a manger and yielded all of that and himself became poor so that we might become rich, rich in him and spiritual things and stuff that actually matters that we're able to have all that. It's incredible. We serve a giving God. He has fulfilled the law and he has completed it. And so our obligation to the Mosaic law has been fulfilled in Jesus. Praise God, right? And so now we have this incredible gift where we stamp out legalism, this whole idea that we have to fulfill the law to, to earn our blessings. That's not the reality of it here. But let me ask you this. Some of us might say, well, if he fulfilled the law, then what you're saying is, bottom line, is that we're not required to tithe, right? That's <laughs> what so y'all are listening for. Let me ask you this. And the first thing is, yes, I am saying that. You're not required to tithe to fulfill the Mosaic law. It has been fulfilled. I'm not saying that. Some of you are like, awesome. I can give 3%. I can give 1%. Yes. Can I ask you a tough question? If Old Testament believers who had not yet seen what we just celebrated started with the tithe and then could not even help themselves from stopping there. They went well past it. Why should we New Testament Christians feel so passionate about giving less? And I, and I get this because we want to stamp out legalism, but let's not lose the main thing here is that we serve a generous God. And so the, the, the grace that we've been given in the new covenant always goes a step beyond what the law the law, in many cases, says don't do this, but Jesus says don't even think about doing that, right? And Jesus ramps it up. And so in, in the case of this new covenant that we have, I want to challenge you. So let's get practical for a second. We ask, what, what should we give? Where do we, where do we actually start? And why do we always talk about tithing here at our church, right? He needs to know that. Well, so if we don't have to tithe, why do we say tithing? Well, here's the bottom line. Well, we don't believe it's, it's our do a duty to fulfill the Mosaic law, and we're not even doing that if we only give 10%. There were other things, and then we got to really get studied if we're going to figure out how to do that. That's not the deal. What we believe tithing is, is where God started, okay? And it gives us the opportunity to figure out how to do this. And tithing doesn't solve all the problems of Christian giving. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't even, I mean, it's a chance that we could get legalistic about it. And some of us have even been robbed of the joy of giving because we thought of it very legalistically. Um, and, and some of us even object and say, well, you know, tithing is legalism, so I'm not going to tithe. And Randy Alcorn's like, that's fine, give 12%. <laughs> like, no worries, <laughs> just give more. But he also says this, if you go back and you look at what you're doing, if you look at the giving that you've been doing in your life, and, and you see these training wells that God gave the Israelites when they were first getting started, that was well exceeded by the New Testament believers in the New Testament and you see those training wheels that he gave him. Like, hey, start here. This is a guidepost for you. Start here. Give this 10%. If you feel like uh, you don't need tithing, like tithing's not something that's very helpful to you, then go back and look at your finances. Dig through what God has given you. And if you're already given like 12, 14, 19, 25, 30%, then, hey, you don't need to talk about tithing. You have exceeded. And uh, you're doing this, this generosity thing that's just blowing everybody's mind. So praise God for your example. But if you go back and you look and you say, wow, I'm only giving 3%, then maybe... Tithing has some use in your life, not as a fulfillment of the law, but as some training wheels to teach us the, the incredible gift of letting go of materialism that 
8.2 million times we've been challenged to think that way in the last four years, right? 35,000 times since I saw you last. Uh, 5,000 more times by the end of today. Like you're going to hear more stuff, better stuff leads to better life. Harry, you got me? And, and tithing simply says, I don't believe that. In fact, I'm gonna give stuff away. Andy Stanley said a really cool thing. He said, uh, <laughs> I thought it was a clever thing, and it made me think. He said, start giving while you're living because what you're holding is molding. <laughs> I couldn't help but share that with you. He's so clever. And, and I, I went in my desk. I was digging through to find a check this week to pay taxes. And um, I found these while I was writing the sermon. And these are cell phones that were incredibly valuable to me uh, at, at one point. These are my like, last two cell phones prior to having this one. And I looked at them and I thought, man, and I actually plugged them in and they both still work. And I thought, you know what? I, I should have given these away. Like, instead, I put them in the drawer thinking, well, if it came to me, it must be for me. Now I have two. I have an extra, right? In case something breaks. In case, because my hope was in my ability to hoard and not in my God to provide. Y'all see this? Meanwhile, I'm paying Verizon for insurance in case my phone breaks. Yet still, it was, this was so, I don't know if I could let it, just give it away. Like, it has value. Listen, Andy Stanley's like, just give it away while you're alive because somebody's going to you when you're dead. Like, it's, it's going to molt, and eventually it will be of no use. The sad story is, especially this one, like, I could give this to somebody right now, and they'd be like, it's not really all that helpful to me. You know what I mean? Like, it's outdated. But I could have given it away a long time ago. And the reality is this, then, that God has given us so, so much. And the third observation, I want to go back to the Macedonians, is this, is that we give because God's grace to us. We gave by God's grace. We gave to reveal God's grace. And now we give because of God's grace to us. For God so loved, he gave. And that is what we do here. For, it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. In other words, he's like, you've experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus. He was rich. For your sake, he became poor. So that in your poverty, or in his poverty, you might become rich. So let's boil this down. And band, if you guys want to come, we're going to wrap up. It's simply this. Is Jesus your Lord? If he's your Lord, then he's in you. And if he's in you, are you willing to trust him in walking in generosity? Are you serving giving God? And if you allow him to transform you into the likeness of the son, you're going to become a giver. You're going to be able to let go of comfort and ease. Listen, the pathway to joy is not more stuff and more savings. The pathway to joy is through following Jesus. And following Jesus may very well require you to go well beyond what we think is even reasonable in giving. But if you do that and you're obedient, you're going to be blessed in a multitude of ways. Listen, some of those could possibly be financial. I'm not making that guarantee. But he will bless you. And here's the crazy blessing that goes of far more value than stuff that we're going to die and leave here. That you're going to have intimacy and fellowship with the Savior of your soul and be able to walk in his steps. Like the reality is this, that God loves you whether you give or you don't give. He loves you. He adores you. He died for you. And he's revealed that. He's demonstrated it on the cross and in his resurrection. Listen. If Christ was able to give us all of that, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to give away what we think we can't live without? Instead, give generously as Christ has given generously to you, to me. That is gospel giving. It's not giving through the lens of American materialism. It's not giving through the lens of the Jewish law. It's giving 
looking at the gospel of what Christ has given to us. It's at the heart of God. It needs to be at the heart of us. So this is the question that I hope at the end we would get to. We would ask, how much should I be giving? And I'm praying that as a church for the next several decades, and we raise our kids thinking this way, and we share this with the world, and we demonstrate this to the world. I mean, we're going to deliver pizza on Tuesday, and it's not much, but it's what we have, and we're going to step into their life, and we're going to say, we, we're not asking for anything. We're going to give you something, and it's just a piece of pizza, but we want you to know Jesus loves you. Are you willing to enter into gospel giving? Instead of asking, how much am I required to give? Instead, say, in view of the gospel, how much can I afford to give before I one day leave it all here and face my Savior. This is the attitude that leads us to genuine gospel giving. There's three Ps. You need to remember, we make it a priority in our life. It's the first thing we do, right? That's a huge help. We make it a priority. Find a percentage. If you want to figure out how to implement this in your life, don't wait until someone comes and can compel you with a cool video from a missionary. Listen, set a percentage and say, God, here's what we're going to give. We're going to plan to do it. It's a priority. It's a percentage. And then finally, make it progressive. If you've already started giving 10%, hey, see if there's a way you can give 11. If you're already giving 15%, see if you can give 16. If you're not giving anything at all, make it progressive. Step in. You see this? This is, this is what God has given us. It's giving not to earn God's love, but because we are loved by our generous, giving, incredible, loving God. For God so loved the world that he gave. Not a percentage, but his only son. That none should perish. Isn't that amazing? If you would stand your feet. Father, we praise you for what you've given us. We thank you for what you've given us. We ask for forgiveness for hoarding. We pray that you would teach us to be generous givers, that you would be glorified in our life, and that others would see the gospel through you, and that we would experience more joy as we're obedient to what you've called us to do. God, I pray that we would respond in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond with this song, and as we do, you're welcome. Steve will be up here if you want to talk to him about this. If you want to come as a family and kneel at the altar or by the cross or right where you are, just grab your spouse's hand or, or maybe you just think for yourself, you respond however you feel like you need to. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.